First Thessalonians, so you can open there. First Thessalonians chapter two. Now last week we went through verses eight to twelve and um, we spoke about how for one of the things we spoke about was how Paul viewed his day to day job, which he was a tent maker, not something that was a hindrance to his preaching the gospel, but actually something that enabled him to preach the gospel. We also looked at how it was possible for Paul to refer to his conduct as holy, just, and blameless. His conduct, not his stance before God, his conduct. And that we saw, in order to understand that, we need to look at or have a proper understanding of these words and also realize that our conduct in this way needs to be holy, just, and blameless before other believers. And then we also looked at Paul's parental approach to the ministry. In verse 8 and 9, he speaks about how um, he treats those children, spiritual children of his, as a mother would her nursing child. And then we also saw later on in the chapter, verse 10 down, we saw how he treats them as a father would also his children. And we saw a few practical lessons there for parenting. But the final goal we saw in verse 12 of chapter 2, it says that you walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So the final goal of Paul's parental approach to the ministry is to have children, spiritual or physical, walk worthy of God. That was Paul's final goal in his ministry. So this week, Lord willing, we'll continue from verse 13. Um, where Paul gets into the first thing I would say what you need to enable yourself to walk worthy of God. And the first thing we'll see in verse 13, let's read together verse 13, is the Word of God. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because you received the Word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God which effectually worketh in you that believe. So, by God's grace, I will get through verse 13 today. Yesterday I was thinking, do I, do I go further in, do I stay? Because there's so much to say about this verse. And um, I think the Lord is definitely going to teach us something from this verse alone today. So let's, let's get into verse 13. Now the first thing is, what is Paul thanking God for? What is Paul thanking God for? He's not thanking the Thessalonians for something. He's thanking God for the fact that the Thessalonians received the word of God. Not as the word of men, but as it is the word of God in truth. All right? So he's thanking God for the fact that these Thessalonians received the word. Now, why is it so important that it's worthy of ceaseless praise? He says in verse 13, without, I thank God without ceasing. Why is it so worthy of ceaseless praise that these people receive the word of God? Have a look at Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. I want to give you two reasons of why it's worthy of ceaseless praise. Proverbs 29 and... Verse 18. 
Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, For where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So this no vision refers to no access to Scripture. No light of the Word in your life. In 1 Samuel 3 verse 1, it speaks there about in those days, the Word, or the, the, the people had no vision because the Word was, um, I think the Bible, King James says, precious. In other words, it was rare. The Word was rare in those days, and people had no vision because of that. And um, I read to you, or we looked at Amos chapter um, 8, verse 12 this morning, and that says that they shall wander from sea to sea and from north and even to east, and they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. In, the, in, in verse 11 of Amos chapter 8, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor, nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. So the first reason I want to say why it's worthy of ceaseless praise that these people receive the word is because without it, people starve. Without it, people perish. In more than one way, they perish in this world, in this life as well. They, they are things in this life that they don't find fulfillment. They don't find joy in life. But there's also obviously the, the eternal starvation, the eternal perishing that takes place. So the first reason is because of ceaseless praise. Now having vision, as we read in um, Proverbs 29 verse 18, having vision is having clarity. is having your eyes fixed on a goal or having clear instruction. That is what it is to have a vision. That it is what it that's something that's set before you, something you can strive to. Now this is what the Bible offers both saved and unsaved people. It offer, offers to unsaved people in that it clearly shows them the way of salvation. The Bible clearly shows the way of salvation. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So there is a clear instruction. Um, we also have, for example, Romans 10 verse 9, where the Bible speaks about, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. There is clear instruction. That there is a vision. There is something that the Bible shows people who do not have the word. The word can enlighten, can cast a vision upon what they need to know. Then we also have, it casts a vision or it gives a vision to those who are saved. And it does that in showing them how to walk worthy of God. We read that in verse 12 of chapter 2, how to walk worthy of God. And this is what the Word does. It gives you instruction of how to walk worthy of God. What does He expect? And what does He not expect from you? This all you'll find in God's Word. As He instructs you, as He gives you vision. His Word will essentially, as we saw, a lamp to our path and a light. Right? That we saw is God enlightening giving you a vision of how to walk. Now, if you think about it, who of you know a self-professed Christian who is starving spiritually? Perhaps you find yourself in that place where you are starving spiritually. And 
we saw in Amos that when God's word is removed, people perish, people starve. There will be a famine. So, could it be due to a lack of vision? Could it be due to a lack of clarity? Due to a lack of direction? All of those things which God wor God's word provides. So, get back to God's word. Read it. Live it. Understand it. Because that is what gives both saved and unsaved people a f an ultimate purpose in life. And that is why Paul says, I praise God, I thank God that you received this word. So that is the first thing. The second reason, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Why does Paul thank God that the Thessalonians received the word of God? Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 it says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in whom in him in whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So Paul, I would say the second reason Paul had ceaseless praise is because God, Paul saw that God played a major role in the salvation of these people. In the, the, the fact that they heard, received, and then understood the word of God. Paul saw that it is God's work and not just his role. So his role here is, how shall they hear without a preacher? Okay? But then he also says, how shall they go unless they be sent? So there's God sending that person and then that person going to preach. So he includes God 100% in this person's salvation, in this person's reception of the word. Paul glorifies God for these people's repentance. The word needs to be preached. And that is our role as the body of Christ. Okay? We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The day you got saved and you got reconciled to God, you got handed this ministry which saved you to be able to minister that to others. But have a look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and... Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So here we see how Paul, I want to say, clarifies anything that was uncertain about this matter. He says there's Apollos, there's Paul. We both minister, we work together, we are one, we are fellow laborers. But neither is he that watereth Neither is he that planteth anything, but God who gives 
the increase. Okay? Do you see how Paul says God is central to the reception of the Word? God is central to the reception of the Word. This is why Paul is thanking God without ceasing for what God has done in the hearts of these Thessalonians through his preaching. So there's your responsibility, there's you taking what God has given you and then going and sharing that and trusting that God's word is the power. God's gospel is the power unto salvation, right? Like you have that word and you receive it and you give it, but that reception, you can't beat yourself up about someone not receiving the gospel. It is God who works in that man's heart, that woman's heart. His word is like unto a hammer, that stony heart. Every time the word is preached to that person, it's chipping away, it's chipping away. And unfortunately, sometimes it goes the other side and because people don't want to hear the gospel, it makes them, it shows them their sin. It actually hardens their heart every day a little bit more because they have to fight harder against this beautiful grace that is shown to them. And so, but our responsibility remains the same and we leave the work of salvation, we leave the fruit in that person. We trust God to bring up fruit in that life. Now before we leave 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to point out a few things to you. The first thing is, notice how Paul speaks about the pluralistic nature of it. He speaks about Paul and Apollos, us, we, that he mentions those types of things. So it is the teamwork aspect of preaching the gospel. There's teamwork involved in preaching the gospel. Okay? There's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing is notice how it's less about the method. It can be Paul's way or Apollos' way. They're both ministers. Okay? They have different approaches. Their churches, I'm sure, had different functions or different ways in which they operated. So it's, not, it's less about the method, but rather the message and the fact that it's being done. Okay? The message needs to be the gospel. That is how you do it and all of that. That is between, I want to say, between you and God, between you and that minister and God, how he leads his church in that sense. But the message needs to stay the same and the fact that it needs to be done needs to stay the same. That's why you have Paul and Apollos. Then another thing I want you to notice, that as the body of Christ, we have different roles to play in the growth of the fruit. Some will be soil preparers. <laughs> as Mike Dobbins, when he was here, Pastor Mike Dobbins, he, what was his sermon called? Something about farmers or, I don't know, I can't remember, plowing a land. Or. The point is, some will be preparing the soil. Some will be planting and some will be watering. We see this very example being shown here by Paul. And so everyone has a different role to play. So if you are currently knocking up the fallow ground of someone's heart, don't go do that to someone who's busy watering someone else's heart, if I could put it like that. Okay? This starts becoming a problem when you look at what that person is doing. And you decide, that's what I'm going to do. Okay? How, how about you seek God and say, Lord, how and who and when do I minister to which person? Okay, do, you understand? do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's less about, 
it's, that's the thing about the Corinthians, how they mixed and compared each other to each other and, you know, numbered themselves and all that thing. That's where you don't want to go. You want to say, God, show me. What is it I must do? What is it you want me to do? But don't use that as a cop-out not to do it. In fact, starting there is the heart that is going to achieve something for God. Starting at the root and say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Look, God wants you to do something. So if you're saying I'm asking God, but he's not telling me to do something, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Or you're not hearing what God is telling you to do. It may look different for everyone. But the point is, you have started. You are asking God, what is it you want me to do? And he will show you what it is he wants you to do. And sometimes it's really not what you think or what you want necessarily to do. But he is preparing you for something. And we need to trust him for that, whatever it may be. And the last thing that I want you to notice in this chapter is that notice that God will bring forth the fruit in his time. You may never see that fruit that you watered. But you will still receive the reward for playing your part. Look at verse 8. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 8. It says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So there's still reward, but you need to play your part. So I want to read to you the, ly- the lyrics of a song that I heard a while ago. It's about this very thing, how you may not see the fruit of your labor immediately or even ever until you get to heaven the songs the song is called faces it says i dreamed my life was done i stood before god's son it was time it was time to see what my reward would be with love he reviewed my life to count what was done for christ for what is for for that is what will last eternally See, I've done my best to share that Jesus really cares. And he would save if they would just believe. Oh, but seldom did harvest come, and so few did I see one. Until the Lord said, turn around and see. Then he showed me the faces of the ones who'd come because of me. So many faces that my life had led to Calvary. All those years I thought nobody saw as I labored in lowly places. That's when Jesus smiled and showed me all the faces. He said, though you did not see the healed, you were faithful to plow the field. At other times, you helped me plant the seed. No matter how small the task, you did just as I asked. And thanks to you, these souls have been set free. And for those years you thought nobody saw as you labored in lowly places. One day he'll smile and show you all the faces. The faces. You'll see their faces. That is a very, I find it at least very comforting, a very, um, a thought that, that, that brings you back to know that God sees everything that you do for him. And all the more reason to do everything for him. Every day and every way you act is an opportunity for you to sow a seed, to show Christ to someone else. 
So that person, even though that person might not get saved, you may never see that face, that fr- the fruit of that life that you've lived in front of those people. But one day God sees and He will reward according to your labor. Now, let's get back to our text. First Thessalonians. Chapter 2, 13. So, why is Paul ceaselessly thanking God for their receival of the word? Because without it, people would perish. And secondly, because the receiving and not the hearing is God's handiwork. The receiving and not the hearing is God's handiwork. Let's continue in verse 13. Verse 13, it says, For this cause also thank the God without ceasing. Then it goes on to say, Because when you received um, the word, uh, lost my place. When you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Paul emphasizes the fact that the words he preached was not mere man's words. That's the, I mean, he could technically have said, for this cause, thank we also God without ceasing. And then he skips the whole center part. And then he says that you received the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. Because that's essentially what he's thanking God for, right? He's thanking, the, thanking God that they received the word, which effectually worketh in them. So why does he go back and say the word of God, which is not the word of men, but in truth the word of God? Why is he, why is he emphasizing that well turn to Galatians chapter 1 the reason Paul is emphasizing it is because as we said before Thessalonica is a is a um, port city it is a place where you had many different people, many different um, people coming from different places. It was close to Athens. It was filled with Greek um, people. And so what that essentially means the Greeks seek after wisdom. They were all knowledge. And you have a story in Acts chapter 17 where you actually have the, uh, the people in Athens and how they're speaking to Paul. And they actually all they want is the next new thing, the new great idea. That's all that it's about for them. And so Paul has to address that this is not just the message of another man because they were constantly exposed to the message of another man. Galatians chapter 1 um, and verse 11 says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church and wasted it. Verse 15, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach among the heathen, immediately I conferred, not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. Paul's basically saying the message he got, he got through revelation from Jesus Christ. Directly from Jesus Christ. His source is Christ. 
His source is not his own wisdom. And then also in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1, he says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if, if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So neither was his motive nor his source fleshly. It was to serve, to please God, and it was from God. Okay. So the first thing, this is why Paul is telling this to the Thessalonians, because this is how he received it, this is how he knows it of the truth, is that this message, this man who was persecuting the very church to which he is preaching now, the Christian church, is this man who, um, who was changed by God, and this message is therefore not just a mere man's message. As I told you, Thessalonica was a port city, it was a main trade route, it was a strategic military position in Greece. And so they prided themselves in philosophy and knowledge. The next great idea. That's what these people were all about. And Paul didn't want to be grouped with the wise men of this world. This is what Paul's desire was not to just be a wise man in this world. Man's words don't leave a lasting impression on a man's soul. It can... It can inspire an idea it can momentarily give you a new sense of direction but it doesn't change a man's soul a man's soul can't change a man's soul and the thing is if eloquence of a man's words sways you to believe a certain thing what stops you from losing belief or faith in what that man taught when a newer more eloquent man comes along you just sway from one opinion because this is, this is great and what this person is teaching is really interesting right now. And so you make that, okay, that's what I believe. And then, but then later on you hear this man say, so that you say something else. And so where's your stability? Where is your, your authority? Where's the final authority? What gives you a sure foundation if it's not God's word? If it is a mere man's word, it goes left and right the whole time. It is fleeting. That is why Paul has no desire for himself or the Thessalonians to listen to him for what he has to say. It is about the word of God. Without this sure stability, your faith cannot stand. So the question you need to ask yourself is, what is your faith resting on? What is your faith standing on? Is it on a man's teachings? Is it on a man's teachings? I know Pastor Mike does not want you to be here because of what he has to say. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I also don't want you here because of what I have to say. It's not about the man's words. It's about God. Believe me, what makes me stand here every Sunday morning is not because... I think I have great ideas. In fact, the boldness I have, <laughs> the little boldness that I have is because of God's Word. It's purely because of God's Word. I have no desire to share what God has shared with me. I have no desire but to share what God has shared with me. That is, that, that is what I want to do. And that is what I know Pastor Mike wants to do. The moment you let go of this book, you are unworthy of standing 
and preaching God's word. Standing and preaching the message. You can't let go of God's word because then it becomes an opinion versus an opinion and that, that everyone has opinions and they all think, right? It's like armpits. And so that is not what you want to have. You don't want, you don't want just more armpits. You want, you want a final authority. You want to say, this stands sure. This, has, this word has gone through the last thousand, five thousand, whatever years, and it's still standing sure. Whatever test the world has given it, whether it's an historical or an archaeological or a scientific fact or something, whatever they've come up, every time God's word has come out to be true. doesn't matter what test is put against it. And so God's word stands true. So, if your faith is not resting on a man's teachings, maybe your faith is resting on your own convictions. Be careful of that. You also don't want your faith to rest on your own convictions. Many people gamble their eternity on this phrase. But I believe. Right? You tell them something and you tell them about the gospel and it's like, but I don't believe God will send me to hell. Or I believe I'll go to heaven because. Like, they're gambling eternity on I believe. Not on God said. Not on I don't, I don't want to trust myself. I am way too young. And even if I'm old, I'm still too young to compare to the, the riches of the knowledge of God. And so I'd rather not trust my own, my own convictions. I'd rather trust this book that has passed every test that's been thrown its way. Praise God that His words stand sure and that we have this guide in our life. Now, <clears throat> we also, because we, you can go back to your text, sorry. We, um, we touched on the subject now in a way of the inspiration of Scripture. So before we move on, I just want to, for those of you who are not completely familiar with the inspiration of Scripture, just touch on it quickly. Because the inspiration of Scripture is very important. If Scripture is not inspired, it is the words of a mere man. And if it is the words of a mere man, what makes you, what gives it the authority? What makes you hold on to it more than you would hold on to a good book, a good author, right? And so it has to be inspired for it to have the authority that it has. It has. So, just quickly, Second Timothy um, and Second Peter. Second Timothy chapter three and Second Peter chapter one. Second Timothy chapter three and Second Peter chapter one. Now Second Peter chapter one verse twenty one says Second Peter one verse twenty one says For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So you see here how God works in a man's life. That man, like Paul, then goes and he writes these letters. He goes and he says, well, this is what God has taught me. This is what God has shown me. And he's, this man is moved by the Holy Ghost to go somewhere. As Paul was called to Macedonia where he preached the word. 
He was called there, and then he ministers to these people all through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and he writes these letters. So there you have, an, the, there you have the inspiration where God moves through his Spirit, and these men wrote down as God moved them. All right. Then you have in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So there we see all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This word inspiration, so you've heard it before, means to be God-breathed. It means to be God-spirit-breathed, essentially. And that's what you have in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse, verse 7, where God creates this man, and then he breathes into this man his spirit, and this man then becomes a living soul. Okay? So what, what you have a picture of there is how Scripture can be inspired after the letter has been written. Yes, God moved that man through the Spirit, but then afterward God comes and He seals, He completes through the breathing of His Spirit into that Word and says, this is now a complete work. When God breathed into Adam, He didn't say two weeks later, oh, I forgot your second arm. Like there's something that still needed to be added. When God breathed into it, He said, this is now complete. This is now a unit, <laughs> not a unit, as in Adam. Well, maybe Adam was a unit. I don't know. <laughs> but it, okay, get back to. <laughs> I just see a bodybuilder now. <laughs> okay. God, when God breathes His Spirit into it, He inspired it, and it became a living soul. This book became alive when God inspired it. Okay. And so God's inspiration is what makes the Word of God true and greater than any other mere man's words. Because of God, who is the source of life, these words are alive. And I'm sure you can testify that if you've read a passage more than once at a different time in your life, each time it speaks to a different aspect or there's something else that you are facing or something else you are struggling. The same words speak to you differently. Now, what is the end result of inspiration? You can get back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. What is the end result of inspiration? In verse 13, we, we read where Paul says, When you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. So when God inspires the word, man's words become God's words. That is what happens. Inspiration. Man's words become God's words. And that is the result of inspiration. And that is the point that Paul is making. He is saying this word is inspired because it is God-breathed. Now, we'll end off with this last phrase in verse 13. It says, Which effectually worketh in you that believe. The word effectually means with effect to a specific goal. With effect to a specific goal. So Paul's saying this is what the work is doing, the, the word is doing. It is working in you to a specific goal. There's something God wants you to work towards through his word. And what what is that what is that specific work that God wants to do? And that is to conform you to the image of his son. That is the ultimate goal of your life or God's purpose for your life is to become more like Jesus. In Romans 8 verse 29 he says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed 
to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So whom he did for know, he also did predestinate to become, uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. So that is what God wants you to do. Now, Second Timothy, where you were. Sorry, I should have told you to stay there. Second Timothy two. Second Timothy, sorry, I said two, chapter three. Second Timothy, chapter three. Now, God wants to conform you to the image of His Son through the effectual working of the Word. Now, how does He do this? Let's read in Second um, Timothy three, verse sixteen. The Bible says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God," and it says, "and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof." for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So that is, well, how, how God does it is through the word, he instructs you. He gives you doctrine in the sense that this is how this works. This is how salvation works. This is how this, he instructs you. He gives you doctrine. He reproves you. He also corrects you. If you've done wrong, God will show you as a father who loves his son is um, chastised. I want to say cherished, but that's not what <laughs> chastised. Okay, as God chastises his children, okay, those whom he loves. And so we have, this, we have God correcting us through his word. And then it also says that the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished. There we once again see the ultimate goal being like Christ being truly furnished, being uh, perfect unto all good works. Okay? That is what God wants us to grow to. So how He does it? I would say God does it daily, through a daily walk with Him, daily instruction. Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Then it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. In his law doth he meditate day and night. And so that is how daily, day by day, meditating in God's word, God starts shaping you, starts forming you, starts reproving, starts rebuking, starts instructing. All those to, to truly furnish you unto all good works, to the image of his son. So that is what God wants to do. Now what does the word of God do? In the unbeliever. So you see, that's what God that does to the believer. What does it do to the unbeliever? It shows them, as we said earlier, the way of salvation. Have a look here in um, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. Speaking about Timothy, Paul says, And that thou, from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. So for the unsafe person, the scriptures make you wise unto salvation. We also have in um, Galatians chapter um, 3 verse 24, where it says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. But then it says that we might be justified by faith all right, in Christ. So the, the faith aspect, the salvation is still Christ, but the law is what brings you there. The law is what shows you some shows you 
um, sin. And that is what Paul says in Romans 7. He speaks there about, if it were not for the law, I had not known thou shalt not covet. I had not known the last thing. So Paul goes and he says, because of the law, therefore, I can, or people can be brought to God and His grace can make sense to them. And they can see His grace for what they've been or what they can be forgiven of. And so that is what God's law and word does to those who um, are unsaved. Now the thing I want to, that I forgot to mention when it comes to your daily walk with Him and His daily instruction, you need to remain faithful in studying His Word, in reading His Word. The thing is, that is how He effectually works in you. Okay? Now, the thing is, sometimes it doesn't feel, and I feel capitalized, feel. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is working in you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like what we are reading in Second or First Thessalonians, that effectual working. We don't feel that. But it doesn't make, because we don't feel it, doesn't make God unfaithful. He said that His Word will effectually work in those who believe. If you are saved, God's Word will work in you. And you need to remain faithful. We need to remain faithful and trust Him to work in our hearts, irrespective of how we may feel in that moment of time. Now, I want to conclude. You can open to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, you read the parable of the sower. Now the Thessalonians' spiritual progress was a result of the effectual working of the word in them. Not only the hearing of the word and the receiving of it. So in, in verse 13, it speaks there about you heard it and you received it. So the effectual working is what made this Thessalonians progress spiritually. It was this working of the word, not the hearing and the receiving. Have a look at uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. Jesus is now explaining the parable of the sower, and he says, But he that receiveth the seed in stony places is the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. So there we have receiving, and hearing, the same as what we had in verse 13 of um, First Thessalonians 2. There's a hearing and a receiving, and they receive it with joy. Verse 21, it says, Yet hath, not, uh, hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, um, because of the word, by and by he is offended. Verse 21, uh, verse 22, He also that receiveth the seed, among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Do you see if there's hearing and receiving as we saw in Second First um, Thessalonians chapter 2, hearing and receiving? But look at verse 23. But he that receiveth the seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The last one receives, hears, but also understands and brings forth fruit. There is the effectual working of God's word in your life. Is that 
understanding and bearing fruit. You cannot expect to bear fruit or understand the word better if you do not read it, if you do not spend time in it. It just doesn't make sense. You can't grow as a Christian if you don't, amen, if you don't spend time in God's word. Because what's going to happen is you're either going to be choked or, or uprooted when the trials of life come. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 14, 15, 16, that's exactly what's being spoken of, is how the trials um, have come in different places. So that if you are not rooted, if the Word of God is not effectually working, you will be uprooted. And then also, or you will be choked. You will be starved. You will perish, as we saw, because of a lack of Word, as we see here, because you did not understand and you did not bring forth fruit because of the effectual working of God in you. So, stay faithful in spending time in the powerful, living, and inspired Word of God and trust Him to work effectually in you. He promised He would. You just keep on keeping on. He is faithful. Amen. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You that we could spend such a good time in Your Word and thank You for everything we could learn. God, You are so faithful. Um, Thank You for Your Word which works in us and which... Um, helps us to be conformed more to the image of yourself. Thank you, Lord, through this that we can know the gospel and we can be saved. Father, we praise you so much for that. We ask that we would, um, that you would continue to work in our lives, make us more like Christ each day. Um, Father, we, we want to live, live lives that are worthy of God. Please be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.